this grand and glorious gift that God has given to us. May we be a people, of all people, who grow in recognizing what we have in Christ. There's every reason for us to approach each day with joy, affirming that we know the secret place in Christ. It's not a secret knowledge. It's a secret place for his redeemed. I'd like to draw your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 6, read in your hearing, verses 3 through 10. So this is uh, another installment as we look at the progress of redemption through the scriptures here. This is absolutely not going to be a summary of the letter of 1 Timothy, but it is it is. The passage here in 1 Timothy 6 is a a piece of biblical information that's particularly important. Uh, And we see it certainly in a number of places. We've spent an extended period of time in the book of 1 Corinthians, certainly worthy of more of our time. But nonetheless, we see in 1 and 2 Corinthians and in other places as well, this, uh, this idea that the Apostle Paul sets forward, and that simply is this, that he must address error. In other words, he, he needs to identify things that are erroneous, false teachers, um, and explain the dangers. Uh, he not only tells Timothy what to do about it, but he describes the realities of who these people are ultimately to affirm the importance of Doctrine, not only of doctrine, but of, of course, true doctrine, that which is the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we see here in these few verses that we hope to look at today is the importance of doctrine and of pure doctrine and of the place that it has in our lives. And the reality is that some, some people, you know, they just play with doctrine. play with it. It's a toy. Some people disregard it. It's, they consider it unimportant. How many times have we heard people say, well, the only thing that matters in the scriptures is that Jesus saves. That is a, a grand statement. But we have a life to live. We encounter, it seems, every moment challenges that challenge our very understanding of who God is and what he would have us do. We encounter many times a day situations where we urgently need doctrine. Some insist it's unimportant. Some study to show themselves approved, as the Apostle Paul commands Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Is it a body of purposeless information? Doctrine, I mean, I, I recognize, I totally recognize it. Even when I say the word, it may be that some of your eyes kind of roll back in your head. I don't need this. 
brothers and sisters, you're part of a church that recognizes and affirms that the very foundation of the church is doctrine. The church is the pillar and buttress of yet one thing, doctrine. That's what it is that we're about. And if it seems unimportant or something to play with, then uh, I'm doing a very poor job of being used of the Lord to indicate what it is that we're about. The Apostle Paul brings us to this idea that doctrine is, in fact, not only the foundation of the church, but it's the seedbed of godliness. It's the seedbed of godliness. You say, well, I, I'm not really sure if I want to spend my time being godly. I mean, i got other stuff to do. And that, in fact, is one of the prevalent errors uh, that there isn't inevitability of being godly because of being in union with the Lord Jesus. That is a very prevalent error. Again, the error being that I can somehow be in union with Christ and not be making progress in godliness. And the only way that I can make progress in godliness is by entering into a growing in understanding of biblical doctrine. There's no other way. There's no, it's not a choose-your-own-adventure process. I'm persuaded that many who report they're confused about the doctrines of Christ are merely trying to buy time in their refusal to obey Christ and repent of their sin, which is in direct conflict with the revealed will of God. I'm confused. I'm not really so sure about that. I think the proper term is I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. I actually understand what it is you're saying from the Word of God. I just don't want to do it. But I can ride the horse of confusion for an entire lifetime. And I may fool myself, but I'll not fool anybody else. It's plain and clear. The doctrines of Christ. Those who fall off plain and practical doctrines fall in with controversies which evacuate the life and power of religion. They do mischief in the church, sowing seeds of discord of envy, of strife, of dissension, of slander. And this is the bitter fruit of stepping away from the doctrines of Christ. Now hear, hear the word of God. You, you want to know where slander and envy and dissension come from? Well, they come from stepping away from the doctrines of Christ. That's it. That's, that's where they come from. Yeah, there are uh, perhaps secondary means by which uh, we may enter into these sorts of things. But nonetheless, at the very foundation, as we have experienced in our own fellowship, is a rejection 
of the doctrines of Christ. They frame notions of their own. They impose them. Those who practice such things are self-absorbed and have neither time for God or his truth, imagining they can peddle the truth of God to gain their own secular interest. And that interest may simply be that they gain more followers in their political campaign to pursue a Christless doctrine. Unfortunately, it uh, is prevalent even in some who would publish books. Make no mistake, there are many books today that profess evangelical faithfulness, but nonetheless, they have been published with one thing in mind. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is referring to here. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. To think that I couldn't create a book that flatters the reader and sell many and then write a book that is in line with the doctrines of Christ and sell few. As if I didn't understand that people will come to eat pizza <coughs> but they will turn away without it. From such as these, Timothy is warned to withdraw. So in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, in this letter here that was one of the Apostle Paul's last letters, we see that he deals with false teachers, with apostasy, and, and dealing with error. For instance, in the first chapter, in verses 3 through 11, Paul urged Timothy to charge erroneous people to stop teaching different doctrine. In other words, in the very first chapter... The Apostle Paul tells Timothy what to do about people that are teaching false doctrine. These have wandered into vain discussion. They desire to be teachers of the law without either understanding what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Timothy is directed how to handle false teachers and false teaching. There is a desire to be a teacher likely for reasons associated with love of self in these that the Apostle Paul is identifying as false teachers instead of the love of God and the love of others. There's a lack of self-knowledge as addressed in chapter 6 and a lack of doctrinal knowledge, yet they are confident these false teachers are described here in chapter 1 as well as in chapter 6. And then in verse 4, chapter 4, excuse me, verses 1 through 5, he also deals with the same issue. He indicates that some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. And this really is uh, another indication of uh, yet another doctrinal falsehood. Some have left the faith. The, uh, if we were to take that statement and pervert the angle of understanding, 
we might be led to believe that some people were saved and then they became lost. But it is erroneous to think that believing in the doctrinal truths of Christ is the same thing as being born again. It isn't. The Bible indicates that even the demons believe. And we can go ahead and discuss the different angles and ideas behind belief, but the reality is you can believe every word of the Bible and be unredeemed. Now that's a scary thought. And it might be important for those who would petition for membership to understand that the elders are not actually trying to determine whether you believe right doctrine. We're trying to figure out whether you've been born again. Believing the doctrine is very important. It's urgent. But God has given to us what seems to be in some ways an impossible task as we are committed to biblical idea of regenerate membership that we're simply trying to understand has God given you new life? What a challenge. Some will depart from the faith. Yes, they'll depart from faithful doctrine. Don't be surprised, the Apostle Peter tells us. Are you still surprised at that? I, I confess that I am. I'm still shocked when people turn away from faithful doctrine. I don't understand it. It's, it's very sorrowful. But it is going to happen, and it's going to continue to happen. But it's not the only thing that's going to continue to happen. There are other, far more glorious things that are also going to continue to happen, because the Bible says that my Father has many people in this city. He has many people in this city. And he has determined to save them and to bring them to himself. And he has determined that there, in fact, is much goodness in his word to us. He is the secret place of refuge and strength. Folks, the same one that wrote this letter to Timothy, he has seen how this whole thing ends. We win. We, with Christ, win. What do you think of that? a smile on your face, I think. Should be an encouraging thing for you, I think. 
Let's look at the passage in chapter 6. It's a very simple argument the Apostle Paul has. As I mentioned in chapter 1, he directs Timothy to charge those who are teaching falsehood to stop. And in chapter 6, he's simply describing who these people are. What is the reality of these people who teach false doctrine? What is the objective truth about who they are? He gives us insight into this. So it's a very simple idea. He says in verse 3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine... and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is, therefore, puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, suspicions, and constant friction among people. He's depraved in mind. He's deprived of the truth, and he imagines that godliness is a means of great gain. Now, the apostle does explain that because I don't want you to have the impression that godliness isn't, in fact, a means of great gain, but his point is he's distinguishing between this false, sort of strange, perverted, ambitious gain somehow that has nothing to do with the gospel or the glory of Christ but godliness with contentment, he says, has great gain. So this is what he says. These people, this is who they are. This is who they are. Now let's see what he says. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, verse 3, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, they don't agree with Christ. Now, what has to be true in order to agree with Christ? Now, hold on to your seat here because I'm going to reveal a secret of this passage. It has to agree with Christ. In other words, the idea is if I'm going to test to see if something agrees with Christ, then what does that mean about me? I have to know what Christ said. And I have to know what he did. Right? I have to know what Christ said, and I have to know what he did. Now, how can I find that out? Well, there's only one place to find that out, of course, and that is in the Scriptures. But again, he's addressing this idea and the additional passage that he has in chapter 1, he says in verse 7, they desire to be teachers of the law, yes, but they don't understand what Christ said or what he did. They don't know it. Yet, they make confident assertions. 
make confident assertions. So he says they don't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of sound here has to do with healthy. We see uh, again here in verse 3 of chapter 6 the sound words of our Lord. And you'll notice in verse 4 there is the word unhealthy. Unhealthy. So we have healthy and unhealthy. Do you want to be healthy or unhealthy? Yeah, you picked right. You want to be healthy, right? So, so there, you know... We, we have a very stark contrast between the right doctrine of Christ and that which doesn't agree with him, and that is one is healthy and one is not. We get the full name and title of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, his name is Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, the Lord. The indication here, the word kurios, supreme in authority. That's why all of our doctrine has to be the doctrine of Christ. He is supreme in authority, and he is Messiah, promised of old. teaching as the verse says in 3 that accords with godliness so it agrees with Christ the Lord he is supreme in authority that makes sense he's in charge it's his doctrine we look to him we understand that what he has said and what he has done is the very foundation the basis of our doctrine he is the Lord he is the Messiah but also we see that it accords with godliness so what does that mean Well, what does the doctrine do? What does it do? Well, let's look at the other side. Uh, craving for controversy, verse 4. Quarrels about words. Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Does faithful doctrine do that? A rejection of faithful doctrine. But you see, the faithful doctrine that agrees with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, it accords with godliness. That is, the doctrine of Christ has a direct tendency to make people godly. That's a certain effect of sound doctrine. So, I mean, here's a question for us, right? I mean, when I embrace sound doctrine, is it working in me to make progress in godliness. Well, I don't know, but he's making my neighbor a real pain in the neck. I know that. He's snarky. He's puffed up. Well, yeah, I don't think that's the doctrine of Christ that accords with godliness. <coughs> Godliness, the communicable attributes of God, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, say them with me, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Galatians 5, humility. That is a mark of sound doctrine. 
humility, submission to the doctrine of Christ. There's no place for anything else. By definition, godliness is progress in sanctification. Where there is no progress, there's already a departure from the doctrines of Christ. You say, well, the doctrines of Christ are taking me away from Christ. No, they're not the doctrines of Christ then. If I'm making no progress in the Spirit, whose first name is Holy, Holy Spirit, think sanctification, right? Then I'm not thinking about rightly, I'm not entering into, I'm not enjoying these doctrines of Christ. By diminishing sin, we diminish godliness and we undermine doctrine. Have you ever diminished sin? Have these words ever come out of your mouth? Yeah, everybody sins. Well, you've just diminished sin. If sin is unimportant, however, that's actually a great assistance if you want to reject doctrine. Because again, doctrine is the seedbed of godliness. If sin doesn't matter, doctrine doesn't matter. If sin doesn't matter, Christ doesn't matter. And it's possible, as a matter of fact, it may even be probable that when I have a very low view of the concept of regeneration or what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has done, the reality is likely that I don't understand that one single step away from the Lord Jesus Christ would cast me into a horrifying and eternal hell. And I may say, well, I don't understand because the eating of the apple, as one has said, is so far away from an eternal hell. And the reality is that we don't understand how holy God is. And we may not understand how much we really do deserve hell. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? When you look in the mirror, do you think, who wouldn't want me in heaven? Look at me. Or do you think, Jesus is awesome. And he has purchased for me all of the glories of heaven and he is for me. And don't I look good when Jesus is near? Because it's not you. It's Jesus. So that's false doctrine, and that's the good doctrine. Now, who are these people? Well, verse 4 begins with this. Again, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, a doctrine that doesn't agree with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, it's not associated with Jesus, it doesn't lead to progression in godliness, if you have identified 
this as for doctrine. Let me, as the Apostle Paul is saying, let me give you some insight into who these people really are. You want to know that? You want to, you want to get behind the scenes? You want to see what makes these guys tick, these false teachers? You want to see about that? Well, the Apostle Paul lets us in on it a little bit here. And this is, this is an area that I, I, I have seen uh, my own lack of understanding. And that is the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of man. And I can think of no other, no other book to assist you in that than John Owen's Mortification of Sin. I know it sounds scary, but it's actually less than 100 pages in print. And you can read it just the same as me. And it is a window into who we are as sinners. And it will, it will get your attention. And it will rightly magnify our Lord, Jesus. And strangely enough, if you are in Christ, you will appreciate each page that you turn in that volume. So who are these people? Well, they're puffed up with conceit. You say, oh, well, I don't, I never thought that. Well, that's because we don't understand the doctrine of man. Who are these people? Well, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that they are absolutely self-absorbed. You know, you can be full of a lot of stuff. You can be full of a lot of stuff. But this concept of conceit has to do with being filled with wind. And I love it when Job says to his supposed friends, all of your windy answers to me. And what he's revealing is that he understands exactly what they're saying, and it is false doctrine. And you, can, you don't even have to look very hard to see the conceit of these. They speak confidently about things that they know nothing about. They're puffed up with conceit. The one who doesn't consent to the words of Christ is proud. He's contentious. He's ignorant. You say, well, he's the sweetest person I know. Yeah. I call him a home angel and a street devil. Or vice versa. Yeah, you should see him when he's not around you. It ain't so pretty. That's the reality. Those who are most proud know the least. With all their knowledge, they do not know themselves. The Bible says so. He understands a little bit? No. The word is nothing. He understands nothing. <laughs> They spend their time with questions often designed to loose people from being more to sound doctrine. You say, well, it didn't really seem that way when he was talking to me. Well, 
The Apostle Paul is peeling back the layers for us to understand, again, the objective realities of the demonic that's going on inside this individual who may or may not actually realize what's happening. Pride and ignorance often go together. And I did look in Pilgrim's Progress, by the way, for that, and it does seem that the characters of pride and ignorance in his book, anyway, are not traveling at the same time. But nonetheless, we see that to be true in the scriptures. There is an ambition for novelty, for uniqueness, a supposed truth, precious to a person, but yet not in accord with sound doctrine. Now, it's very important for us to understand a few things about false doctrine. And there are some tremendous similarities between false doctrine and true doctrine. And one of those uh, similarities is this. They're complete systems. They're complete systems. The Mormons, for instance, have a complete comprehensive theology. In their mind, all the holes are filled. They have an answer for everything. It's all there. Jehovah's Witnesses, the same thing. Those who step away again from the faithful orthodox understanding <clears throat> of the historic principles of the scriptures, even as affirmed in our own confession, they have a complete system. They can plummet you with Bible verses that actually are not in accord with sound doctrine. Some have the mannerisms of sound doctrine and authority. They've learned to speak as if they're setting forth soundness. They do, in fact, believe it themselves, yet they often find it is anchored only in the thoughts of their own minds. You should walk away from those who proclaim false doctrine and say, well, I don't believe that stuff, but he sure does. The things they delight in prove their ignorance. They're puffed up. They're filled with wind. The idea of the word here is to make haughty. They have nothing that is solid. They understand nothing, the scriptures say. They live in a mental, spiritual, moral world of their own making. Completely out of touch with reality. There is no objective understanding of what is actually true. This is what the Apostle Paul said. These are the people who do this. Right? They have an unhealthy craving for controversy. Again, you have sound doctrine that accords with godliness and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is healthy. Right? And then you have unhealthy. Unhealthy. Languishing. This is in contrast to the soundness of the doctrines of Christ. When those without sound doctrine have wearied themselves with setting forward that which doesn't accord with sound teaching, they have merely cultivated their own disease. Cultivating their own disease. That's one of the interesting things about depravity and about the new birth. They both work in the same way. Depravity is pervasive. It starts little and gets big and continues to grow and fester until it fills up the entire individual. Turns out the new birth does the same thing. 
It's regenerating. It's bringing life all the time. It's destroying those, those killer cells that make one unhealthy, and it is rejuvenating the individual. Often, it may be in our mind, uh, when we lack uh, uh, an honest and faithful pursuit of godliness, it may be in our minds, we may ask ourselves the question, well, how much poison can I actually take and still live? How far away from Jesus can I be and still find my way in heaven? Well, if that's your question, then you've already stepped away from sound doctrine. Note this craving, this unhealthy curiosity. Are you curious for the doctrine outside of the bounds of Christ? Are you curious for doctrine outside of the bounds of Christ? You will encounter people in your walk that have one thing they just can't figure out in the Bible. God doesn't tell them. One thing. And they will never hear the gospel because of it. They have a curiosity for that which the Lord has decided not to tell us. And it will keep them from heaven. As if they've mastered sound doctrine. Do you clamor to find support for your questionable life choices? That wouldn't be sound doctrine. They have quarrels about words. They produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. This is, this is, what, this is the fruit. This is the bitter fruit of false doctrine. There's constant friction among people. Envy. The idea is that one is filled with ill will against the victor, the one who seems to have won the argument today. In other words, there's wrangling, dissension. The person who lost the argument is unwilling to admit defeat. Bitter discord, evil suspicions. The mind of the envious individual is haunted by mistrust and foreboding. And this is something that likely we have also all experienced. The one who is stuck on false doctrine. You've likely noticed this. Perhaps unfortunately in your own selves, but perhaps also in others. That there is a foreboding and growing mistrust of everyone. I, this is what the Apostle Paul is describing. These people, right? The evil suspicions, or as the King James, base suspicions, constant friction. You've experienced that. Rubbing each other the wrong way, vengeful and agitated. The truth is they're depraved in mind. The depraved mind opposes the truth. And welcomes the lie. Again, the depraved mind. It's churning away at death, not life. 
Everything it finds, it wants to kill, not bring to life. Whereas the doctrine that accords with Christ is just the opposite, of course. These are deprived of truth. They become completely separated from the truth day after day after day. They're walking away from the truth, not toward it. Imagine that godliness is, in fact, a means of gain. The false teacher is looking to personally benefit in his political campaign to draw people to himself. Are the doctrines of Christ not adequate enough for us to walk in this sinful world? And in verse 6, there's great gain in godliness with contentment. True godliness bringing from faithful doctrine brings the person into contentment. Contentment. Just want to take a deep breath. Be content in Christ. To say that his doctrine is adequate is like stepping up from a glorious meal and saying that was sufficiently filling. No, no. No, no. That was glorious. Contentment has to do with satisfaction. As a matter of fact, the word really has to do with being self-sufficient. Now don't get the wrong idea. Sufficiency in Christ, it's complete, it's comprehensive. There's a certain independence. We have no need, of course, for doctrine outside of the bounds of Christ. The sense is that godliness springing from faithful doctrine brings us into a state in which we no longer have the perceived need of different doctrine. We lay down our foolish ambitions clamoring for different doctrine. Now, I've already mentioned the demonic doctrine of the Mormons as well as the Jehovah's Witnesses, but you all realize that we are not so far away as that from poor doctrine. A few examples. One is the idea that conscience is my leader. Conscience is my leader. In other words, what I do, I follow Martin Luther. I stand on conscience. The word conscience is used 26 times in the New Testament. And not one of those times is the indication that conscience is my leader. Conscience is not my leader. Some of you are passing around a very humorous and quite helpful statement from Paul Washer that says, tell your heart to shut up. Tell your heart to shut up. Why? Because it's false doctrine. We aren't Jiminy Cricket. Follow your conscience. No. Follow the word of God. An additional false doctrine that I've already alluded to, this idea of the distinction between new birth versus belief. Mere belief doesn't impress the soul with saving conviction of sin. 
those faithful saints of old recognized that there was one telltale sign for the new birth. It wasn't the affirmation of right doctrine. It was the conviction of sin. If you're not convicted of your sin, you're unredeemed. I don't know how else to say it. It's an absolute certainty. If you have no conviction of your own sin, of your own depravity, of that which you have earned being hell, if you have no conviction of that, then you are not redeemed. It doesn't matter what you believe. Karl Barth, perhaps one of the most profound scholars of the previous century, wrote volumes of theology. And when Karl F.H. Henry went to visit him to sound the theologian, he was persuaded that Barth was in fact not a believer. Yes, you must believe. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ says, repent and believe, a thing that which we cannot do until Christ moves in us and gives us life. But it is a false doctrine to think that I can believe and assess and affirm a body of doctrine and yet languish without the new birth. Also, as this doctrine of Christ accords with godliness, this idea of the carnal Christian, the carnal Christian, it's false doctrine. The reality is, is that sound doctrine accords with godliness. Yes, you're not going to be perfect after the new birth, but there will be a trajectory of sanctification that will yet continue. We don't get saved and then lost and then saved again. There is an inevitability of growth in Christ through union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And simply one more that I would bring to your attention, and that is this idea that gaining wisdom is easy. Gaining wisdom is easy. Why do you think that I might bring that to your attention in this area of sound doctrine? Well, because there are scores of implications in the swirl of broad evangelicalism that would indicate that a walk with Jesus is a walk in the park. That actually understanding what to do on Monday is at my fingertips, easily assessed. The idea that I can literally, in the morning, open up the Bible and do the same thing as Samson did after his hair was cut. What did he say? I'll get up the same way I always did. And what did Jesus say? No, sir, you won't. Because I'm not in it. To think 
that I can open the Bible and read it without the Spirit's help is utter arrogant folly. This is a closed book to me without the power of God. And that is false doctrine, to think that I can enter into something as rudimentary and simple as reading words on a page and think that it is mine, that I have it. Oh, no, you don't. The only thing you have that is true about the Lord Jesus Christ is that which he has particularly, individually, and personally given to you. You don't sneak up on Jesus. The woman touched his garment, and he knew it. And he knew who she was. And he knew that she believed. And he knew that she understood. We don't sneak up on Jesus. We, we are getting nothing from the Scriptures unless we humbly submit ourselves and say, Oh God, would you help me understand your word today so that I can live today not tomorrow, not next week. I just want to get through today. But not in a drudgery. No, no. We don't live under our circumstances. We live above them. That's the doctrine that accords with godliness. Christ is for us. We have a glorious Savior. And he has given to us all that we need for life and godliness. And he has given it freely to us on his terms. Not our own. Let us pray.